The words I'd like to direct your attention to this morning are found in the book of Psalms, and we'll be looking particularly at Psalm 128. Psalm 128. The psalmist writes, Blessed is everyone who fears Yahweh, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears Yahweh. Yahweh bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Please join me in prayer as we look at this text. Father, we've committed our time over the next few weeks to examine your design for the family. And Lord, we do not desire that this this time would be vain, but that it would be uh, transformative. That you would help establish very clear biblical principles in our mind. Lord, not just that we would understand these principles, but even that we would live them out. That we there would be clarity to know what we need to change so that we would guard our families from the corrupt influence of the world, but we'd not just guard them, Lord, that we would, that we would thrive as families, that we would be homes that are, that are full of worship, full of love, that radiate unity and joy, that have the aroma of Christ. And Lord, we know that the mere knowledge is not enough for that. We know that we, we, know we need more than just to learn principles. We need you to uh, give us grace to both learn and then live according to these principles. And so we, we pray that you would work in power uh, in our lives, that, that, that we would have families that both understand what you've called us to, and then we would, of course, live according to this. And we need your grace. And so even before we begin, we beg you for it. Give us understanding. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, people look to all sorts of things to try and bring happiness into their homes. They might look uh, for entertainment, for instance, and buy uh, expensive gaming systems or entertainment centers. Um, They might even want to just have fun as a family and go on luxurious vacations together. Others might look to establishing more order. They come up with stricter rules or... Um, uh, chores for everybody to follow, daily chores, firm schedules. Other people just think we just need more quality time together. So we'll, we'll establish family game nights. Um, we will go on dates more often, attend sporting events together. Well, none of these things, of course, are bad in and of themselves, but none of them will bring the blessing that God desires to bring families in Scripture. In Psalm 128, it actually tells us what the key is to a happy home. And it tells us that the key really begins in the heart, in the fear of the Lord. And I've entitled this this message, The Fruit of Fearing the Lord, because really that is the point of the psalm. In fact, it teaches us that the fear of the Lord will produce four blessings in our homes. Fruitful labor, fruitful wife. 
fruitful children, and a fruitful life. So let's begin with verse 1. The psalm begins saying, Blessed is everyone who fears Yahweh, who walks in His ways. And so it's worth asking, of course, then, what is the fear of the Lord? Uh, According to the best Hebrew lexicons, the word, the Hebrew word for fear means fear, quite simply. To be afraid of something. And Christians often get uncomfortable with the idea of fearing God, although it is a concept that is pervasive in Scripture. In fact, the Bible says far more about us fearing God than it does about us loving God. If, I, I would imagine, I haven't added this up, but I imagine it says as much about fearing God as praising God. It would be a worthwhile thing to, to check to see. But we get uncomfortable about fearing God because it doesn't seem that a God who defines himself by his love for us and talks about his steadfast love for us throughout Scripture is one that would want us to fear him. But it's precisely because of God's love for us that we should fear him. For instance, if one of my sons were to scream at my wife, and curse at her, and then slap her across the face, he should fear how I would respond. Both because I love her, and I feel a responsibility to protect her, but also because I love them. And I don't want any sort of wickedness like that to lurk within their heart. And that's why the Bible says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So what it's saying is love disciplines. In fact, earlier in the Proverbs, in Proverbs 3.12, it says this, For Yahweh reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. And again, by definition, discipline is not pleasant. It's painful. It hurts. It's supposed to. It's not supposed to be gentle. In fact, Julie and I were... uh, reading Psalm 39 together as we were spending time with the Lord this this week. And in that psalm, the writer pleads with God to remove his discipline. This is what it says in verse 10, Psalm 39, 10. Remove your stroke from me. I I am spent by the hostility of your hand. And he's talking to God. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. So we should fear God, particularly because of how he responds to sin. And because the consequences of disobeying him, sorry, are painful. In fact, if you think about it, all the pain, all the misery that we experience in this life is due to sin. All All the dysfunctionality in our families is due to sin. And it all started with our failure to fear God rightly. Right? In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve chose to listen to Satan word, Satan's words regarding the tree rather than fearing God's words. They feared the consequences of missing out on some forbidden pleasure more than they feared what would happen if they disobeyed God. And their, their failure to heed God's word led to incalculable suffering and pain. It all began then. 
And it was not just, again, in their lives, but because they wanted to taste just a little bit of some fruit that God forbade them to eat. One of their sons ended up murdering his brother. That was on Adam and Eve. Cain had to pay the price for his sin too. But he would never have touched his brother except in love if it had not been for Adam and Eve's choice to just taste a little forbidden fruit. And again, the consequence wasn't just that they would one day die. It, it unleashed the power of death upon all of their descendants throughout the world, upon creation. And from then on, sin has ravaged families. And here in Psalm 128, the Lord tells us the only thing that can really stem the tide of sin's destruction within our homes. And that's the fear of the Lord. The fear of God means that you take Him at His word. Not only that we would fear His response to sin, but we would take Him at His word. We would believe what He says, just like with Adam and Eve, God has given us clear instructions for how we should live in his word. And, and when God gives us instructions, they're not take it or leave it. They're not just good advice. They're commands. If we choose to disobey his commands, we are rebelling against him. We know what will please him and we know what will make him angry. And on top of that, he's even given us a, a conscience to lead us. So again, we're not just ignoring sound advice. When we choose to ignore what God has told us to do in the family, we're inviting destruction into our homes, just like Adam and Eve did. And it's just very easy for, for people to think, well, if nobody sees the sin, it's not going to cause a consequence. And forgetting that God sees everything that we do. And sin always, always bites. And its bite is far, far, far worse than the pleasure that it provides. God's commands are not like a box of chocolates where we can just open it up and kind of pick the ones that we will choose to obey and, and leave the others for other people who we think should obey those commands. Right? They're all for us. We need to obey all of His commands. Here's some of the commands regarding the home that Christians frequently overlook and then offer, often uh, offer up inexcusable excuses for their disobedience husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman that is not just good advice that is a command if you do not do that you are in rebellion against God let the wife see that she respects her husband Ephesians 5.33 Paul's instruction regarding marital intimacy is often swept under the rug, even by Christians. He says in 1 Corinthians 7.4 For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. Also, children, teenagers, how seriously do you take the command... To honor your father and mother. Honor. Do you honor them? 
If you fail to honor them, you are in sin. It doesn't just say be nice to them, but honor them. Right? Again, if if we fear God, we are going to take all of His commands seriously. We will want to obey all of His commands, no matter the cost to ourselves. Right? If God shows His own love for us in this, and that while we were sinners, He gave up Christ for us, how much more? Now that he has been, we've been reconciled, should we want to obey everything that he says? Especially when we know disobedience led to everything we hate about our lives. All that shame, all that junk, that's because we ignored God's word. Or we were ignorant of it. None of following, none of, I would say it this way, never in obeying God's command has it ever brought shame. It might have brought pain because we live in a fallen world. But never has it brought shame. And we, we, we want to live for the glory of God because we fear Him. And remember, this was the sum of all of Solomon's wisdoms. Uh, in uh, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, he says, the, the end of the matter after all has been heard is this. This is a summary. This is everything we need to know about life, Solomon says. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Let that resonate with you. The one thing that we need to do is fear God. Fearing God and taking Him at His word also means that you believe Him more than other rivals to His authority. Right? Adam and Eve chose to trust in the word of Satan over God. And look where it got them. And likewise, many people today ignore God's instruction and instead they they seek to follow the sweet allurements of the world. For example, even though Jesus explicitly said in Mark 10, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Many Christians would rather listen to the satanic voice that says, You need to find someone who will truly value you for you. Even if that means leaving your spouse and finding somebody else. That is not of Christ. And even though God says in 1 Corinthians 6 that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God, the culture says, well, love is love, therefore God must be okay with it. The culture has its own idea of how the family should function. Even though God says in Ephesians 5 that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, the culture says this is abominable male chauvinism and suggests that, that in fact, men and women should have the same roles. That we should not even distinguish between male and female anymore. That the objective reality of gender should be questioned as a vehicle for patriarchal oppression. In a recent article I read on CNN.com regarding patriarchy, the writers quote American sociologist Alan Johnson, who explains, quote, a society is patriarchal to the degree that it promotes male privilege by being male-dominated, male-identified, and male-centered. It is also organized around an obsession with control and involves as one of its key aspects the oppression of women. 
Now that sounds really bad. Like we should not want to have anything to do with what's being described there. It's awful. But then consider how they say such patriarchal oppression can be identified. Quote, Deeply ingrained biases see men hold positions of leadership and control resources in both the public and private spheres, while women play a secondary role and are seen as weaker and better suited to domestic labor. As such, a woman's place in a patriarchal society is primarily to be homemakers, procreators, or caregivers. In other words, what the Bible teaches. In their logic, the Bible was composed as an abusive tool of patriarchal oppression. And such journalists and sociologists would have us believe that their understanding about how a family should function is superior to God's instruction. And so the the fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, we have to choose who we're going to believe. Are we going to believe God's word? Are we going to fear God? Or are we going to be afraid of what the culture thinks of how we live our lives and how we run our families? The fact of the matter is, there's there's going to be a cost. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Either you're going to make friends with the culture and they're going to love you and praise you. And you'll be under the discipline and possibly wrath of God. Or you can listen to God's word and become labeled as a bigot. Or naive by the culture. There's going to be a cost either way. And so again, the fact of the matter is we've got to choose who you're going to believe. Fearing God means we care more about His opinion than anything else. Right? What I mean by this is that a person who fears God is going to have integrity. There's going to be integration within their life. There's going to be consistency in how they live, no matter where they are or who's watching. If you fear God more than anything else, it's not going to matter who's around, who's watching you. You're not going to let little sins lurk in your heart just because nobody else can see the sin. Because he sees it. And he's just. And he has promised that he will discipline those whom he loves. I think one of the problems in many Christians' homes, maybe even in yours, is that Christians behave far better outside the home than within the home. But, the, but the, really, the way we behave in our home is really a truer picture of who we actually are. How we speak to our wife and kids, our husbands. How we behave, how we spend our time. That's a reflection of who we really are. Not how everybody else sees us, but how we live in the home is the best picture of who we are. Why? Because it's our, our home. Right? There's no conformity in our home. It's our home. It reflects us. It reflects what we love, what drives us. Right? And so if we speak like Satan... In the home. If we live foolishly within the home, that is who you are. That is what leads you. It's our home. 
The way we talk and act in our home is a greater indicator of our actual spiritual state. Right? And I think the reason people behave better at church and they work harder at work than they do at home is because, again, they care more about other people's opinion of them than they fear the Lord. They fear man more than they fear God. And this works itself out primarily in the home. But the opposite is also the case. When a person fears God, they take him at his word. They believe him over all the other lies in the culture. They trust him. Then that also works itself out in the home. And in fact, the Bible here in Psalm 128 says it'll manifest itself in four particular ways. Four fruits. And the first it mentions is they will have fruitful labor. In verse 2 it says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. So the first blessing that comes upon the man who fears the Lord is that he will eat of of the labor of his hands. Meaning that he will get to enjoy what he's produced, what he's worked hard to produce. He won't be a slave producing for others to enjoy. He will enjoy the fruit of his own labor. And besides the fear of the Lord, you'll notice fruit here is the other key word in the psalm. It comes up multiple times. And it pictures productivity, but also sweetness. Right? Fruit. It's sweet to the taste. And it, and it brings pleasure. So this means that not only is the man who fears the Lord going to be able to provide for his family, but that provision will come with pleasure. He will bring pleasure to his home. And in fact, he will find pleasure in the provision. Because his his family is going to be able to enjoy what he's produced. It's not just for him, it's for his family. They will see that their husband and their father's labor is for their benefit. They will appreciate the fact that their dad can work, that their husband can work. It won't be seen as a curse to them. They will love the fact that God has provided him this work. Solomon describes such blessing in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Beginning verse 18, he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is, is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. Right? And there is, there is difficulty in work. Many of us don't like to go to work, but when you fear the Lord, what God's saying is you will find joy because you will know your work is productive. And again, not just you yourself, men, but your families will find pleasure in your work, even though it's hard. Turn also to Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's a key cross-reference to this psalm. It's where Moses gives the the blessings of obeying the commandments that he has just laid out for Israel before they enter the promised land. And he says in Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, 
If you faithfully obey the voice of Yahweh your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, Yahweh your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of Yahweh your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you come out. You get the point. If you take God's word seriously and show that by obeying his word, you will be blessed. Not cursed. It'll bring blessing in your labor. Secondly, the psalmist says it will produce a fruitful wife. Verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. The psalmist describes her as a fruitful vine. Again, implying that she is healthy, productive, and fertile. She's healthy in that she isn't withered and dried up. She's getting the nourishment that she needs to thrive, right? When vines dry up and wither, it's because they're not getting water, they're not getting food, they're not getting sunshine. And obviously in the Christian home, this means that she's getting the spiritual nourishment that she needs to thrive, to abide in Christ. Her husband's freeing her up to get time with the Lord so that she can enjoy the same thing that Mary found. Right? The one thing that is necessary to thrive. Right? To sit at the feet of the Lord and learn. Now she isn't overwhelmed with responsibility like Martha because he's freeing her up. Because he knows that if she abides in Christ, she can't help but be fruitful. Right? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the husband wanting to make sure, because he fears God. He wants to make sure his wife gets her the time with the Lord that she needs. So that she can abide with him, not just in that hour in the morning. But throughout the day, he seeks to do whatever he can to help her in this. It also implies that she's productive, right? Notice the location of her fruitfulness within your house. God's point is that the fruitfulness of the woman is going to be seen in the home. Whereas for the man, it's going to be seen outside the home in his labor. If he fears the Lord, he will find success in his labor and his wife will find success, fruitfulness in being a homemaker. This is why Paul tells Titus to have older women to teach the younger women, quote, to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. A common question that's asked on this principle is, is, is God here then forbidding women to work outside the home? The answer is no. However, it is saying that, a, that the wife's fruitfulness is primarily going to be seen in the home. That's the point. And once a woman is married, and especially once she has children, she has a responsibility within the home to care for her husband and her children. 
But, uh, but I think that the excellent wife that is explained in Proverbs 31 is instructive. Right? She is faithful and productive in the home. But because she's faithful in the home, this is what allows her to also work outside the home. But it's not working outside the home first. The priority is within the home, caring for the needs of her husband and her children. And if that's being taken care of, she has all the freedom she wants to work outside the home and continue to be a blessing to her family. But again, what we, need, we can't miss is the fruitfulness isn't the result of her being hardworking or intelligent. Her fruitfulness is the result of her husband fearing the Lord. It's a fruit God gives when we fear him. But also fertility is implied by this metaphor of the vine, the fruitful vine. She will be blessed with children. And what I want us to see is that, notice that the blessing, the children here are seen as a blessing, not a burden. One of the underlying reasons children are not seen as a blessing from God in many homes is because mothers are burdened with concerns outside the home. They got, they're so preoccupied with other things that are going on, whether it's social or whether it's for work, that they, they, aren't, they see their kids as a burden rather than just a, a blessed responsibility. And so they're overwhelmed. Rather than enjoying the blessings God has given her, she occupies her time chasing blessings in other spheres. And she's not only neglecting her children, but she's quenching her joy. Forgetting that, her, again, her children were designed to be a blessing. And you'll see that throughout the scripture. Notice also the last few lines of the previous psalm. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from Yahweh. The fruit of the womb is a curse. Is that what it says? No, it says a reward, a blessing. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is limited to one. No, his quiver is full of them. Why? Because it's a, they're a blessing. And we just need to realize, if we don't see our children as a blessing, something is really wrong. And it's not that we're not making enough money. In fact, that's the next point, the third blessing. We have fruitful children if we fear the Lord. Second part of verse 3. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears Yahweh. Right? Where, where before he used the metaphor of a vine to describe the wife, here he uses olive shoots. Olive shoots are simply baby olive trees. Right? Olive trees actually often took a while to, to grow. Uh, years before they'd become productive, but they would also become very productive. And actually, they would be useful to even uh, harvest for years. You know, many, many um, families uh, sustain themselves because of the, the produce of olives in Israel. And the assumption is that these young olive trees, these shoots, will grow up to be healthy trees. And they will grow up to then produce abundance of their own. They themselves will be fruitful. And like the wife, notice the location of their fruitfulness. It's around the table. 
A table is, of course, where a family eats together and enjoys the produce of both the husband and the wife. The husband's labor through providing and the wife's labor through cooking. Right? There's their mutual provision, their mutual service serves as a blessing for their children, and through that, their children are blessed and prospered. But the, but the table is also a metaphor for fellowship. We see Again, this is seen throughout Scripture. Because meals are when a family would come together and they would talk about their day. They would share with one. They'd laugh. They'd tell stories. They'd grieve together. And so the table really, it's a, it's a picture of unity and joy, of mutual love and affection, of, of, of all for one and one for all, right? Unity, working together as a, as a, as a, as a, with a single purpose in mind, but also with an interest in every other person, right? Rather than everybody going out and doing their own thing and then coming back home and just being quiet and eating their meal in silence, often just in front of the television, the picture that's provided here for the man who fears the Lord, their family will love to be together. They'll look forward to that meal each and every day to come together to be with their brothers and sisters and their parents. Right? Everybody goes out and fulfills the responsibility of the day. They come back in the evening to bless one another and to bring one another joy. They're thinking about one another, not just their own interests. And, then they, and they, as they fear God, again, they live for his glory, but for one another, right? As we love God with all our heart, we then overflow in love towards others. And we delight to be together. And that's what's pictured here with the olive shoots around the table. But verse 4 actually emphasizes, again, the main point. This is all the result of fearing the Lord. It's not because they have a master plan. They've read all the books. They've, they've heard all the podcasts on having a great family. No, it's because they fear God. And they care more about what God thinks than what other people's opinions are of how they live. Alright, so this can't come from following mere moralistic standards or formulas or structures. Really, brothers and sisters, a healthy family comes down to sincere worship. Seeking to follow biblical principles without actually worshiping God in the heart, it won't work. It'll fail. Because it's just hypocrisy. The fruitful life is the fourth thing that the psalmist mentioned. He says, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. It will be manifest in the life of a man that he will have a long life. He will live with his grandchildren. Right? The point is that the blessing is going to get passed down to succeeding generations. Just like our sin affects our children and our children's children. Likewise, our fear of the Lord, our obedience to God, affects our children as well. And the point is, you fear God, it's not just going to stay within your home. It'll overflow into your children's homes. And even here, the implication is that the nation is therefore going to be blessed by the man who fears the Lord. Right? As his, as his children go out from the home, they're going to have an impact 
upon their cities, on their countries, on their nation, on Israel in particular. In fact, we see in verse 6 that the key to Israel receiving peace is that their men must fear the Lord. And then their families will be blessed, and then the nation will be blessed. This all goes back again to God's original instruction to Israel in Deuteronomy 6. And he said, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that Yahweh your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear Yahweh your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Right right now, people, for very good reason, are offering up prayers for the peace of Israel. But we see here in this psalm and in Deuteronomy that the key to Israel's peace is Isn't the United States sending some envoy to make peace with Israel? The key to Israel's peace is that their men would fear God. Just like it's the key to our peace in our homes. But this final line does show us how this peace will eventually come about. It will happen when God's chosen people begin to fear Him. And show that by receiving their Messiah, that they have rejected. right? In rejecting Christ, they have rejected God, therefore not fearing Him. Right? Jesus said in John 5, 24, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. First John also says, no one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. If if we have not accepted Christ, we are not going to have peace in our homes, and we're certainly not going to have it in our nations. So the same is true of all people who refuse to acknowledge their need to be saved from their own sin. We have to recognize that the, the reason for all the dysfunctionality in our families is our sin. It's not the sin of the other people in our family. It's not our circumstances. It's our sin. See, although it's easy to see the sin in our spouses and our children, we are astonishingly blind to our own failures. Frequently, when they're pointed out, just excusing it, making a defense, or just getting angry. How dare you confront me with sin when you're a sinner? Which is not fearing God. So until we recognize that the greatest problem in our families is not their unwillingness to change, but rather our own sin, we are not going to have peace. And so recognize the point of this psalm, though, is that God wants to bless you. <laughs> I mean, clearly that's the point of the psalm. He wants us to understand how we can have this. It is God's desire for all of our families to look like this be a place of rich blessings, but as long as we choose instead to follow the voice of the serpent, 
or as minions and walk according to our own wisdom, God will remain our enemy. And this, of course, is not what God wants. And that's why He sent His Son into the world. Both to tell us the truth about how we should live, but, but primarily so that we would also have a, a means of being reconciled to Him. God sent His own Son into the world to pay the price for our sin. Because He knew that we could not be set free from our, from our pride and from our slavery to sin. Unless his son died on the cross first. And so the most important point of application to this psalm is this. Do you fear God? Do you recognize you need forgiveness for your sins? That you need God to set you free from your slavery to sin? And you you can be set free right now simply by acknowledging that you need forgiveness and you need to be set free from your sin. And you can begin just simply by saying this simple prayer, Christ, I need you. Save me from my sin. Just say, Christ, I need you. Save me from my sin. But of course, it's not only unbelievers who struggle with sin in their families. It's all of us. But again, we also, even Christians, we need to recognize sin is still our problem. Until we are are far more concerned about the sin lurking in our hearts than we are about the sin in our children's lives or our husband's lives, wife's life, we're not going to see any change. If you want a happy home, you need to be vicious in killing sin. As Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Now, you can't change your circumstances in most cases. You can't change others. But you can change how you respond to sin and temptation. So the starting place for a blessed home begins with a genuine fear of God. Let's pray. Father, we need grace. We pray that you would cause us to fear you. That we would take sin seriously in our heart. And we would take the responsibilities that you have called us to follow in your word. And put them into practice within our homes. And again, Lord, we need great wisdom. There's often much confusion. There's sin and distortion. Lord, often we're just even blind to where we've gone sideways. So I pray that you would use your word, give us clarity. But first and foremost, Lord, give us a fear of you so that you would receive the worship within our families that you deserve. We pray this in Christ's name.